0: Hello, um, welcome to our podcast. Uh, my name is Mark, I'm joined here by my wife Megan. Hi Megan. Hello. Uh, and we're going to be talking a bit about Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, we're both huge Star Wars fans. We've this movie for a long time. Um, it's still a little bit difficult to talk openly about it with people on Twitter, just because I'm still not quite sure how people are about spoilers at the moment. It's, you know... A week and a half since the film came out but I still see some people getting quite annoyed about that so we just thought this would be a fun way to just talk about our feelings about the movie um, so we are going to be talking spoilers um, just as a warning before we start uh, we've seen the film three times now so we've pretty much settled on how we feel about it I think um, so that's let's, um, let's, let's dive right in I mean we've, we've seen it three times um, first time we both left it feeling a bit flat. I think. We weren't sure what to make of it initially.
1: Yes. Um, it was, uh, i trying to remember how I felt because it's already been a week and a half, but mm. just, I think the way you described it at the time was that it's like it felt like pastiche instead of actual Star Wars. That was my
0: first feeling, yeah. Yes. Yeah,
1: it, and that was just the initial reaction walking away from it. But, of course, we feel completely differently now. Yeah, quite differently. <laughs> yeah. It now really, truly does feel like Star Wars. Yeah. I
0: mean, and to be fair, we felt that by that evening because we saw it a second time the same day. Yes, and
1: that is true.
0: Yeah. Even at that point, it was, it. was there was um, a lot that we hadn't picked up or appreciated the first time around. I think because our expectations were going a certain way. And so accepting it for what it was rather than what we thought it was going to be was the thing that we had to learn, I guess the more that we've seen it.
1: Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I greatly enjoyed it much more the second time. Not to say I didn't enjoy it the first time. It's. it just, I had, I felt differently leaving the theater the second time around, um, than I did the first time. And I think it is because maybe my expectations were in a certain, you know, set in a certain way. And, you know, of course nobody can meet someone's expectations. I don't even know what my
0: expectations
1: were, <laughs> to be honest. I keep thinking
0: that. I keep thinking wasn't expectations. Why do I keep
1: saying it didn't... I don't know if it met my expectations, but then I think I didn't really have any expectations going into it. I think I think mainly the main problem for me is that the first six Star Wars films were very much George Lucas films, and they he has a different directing style, of course, and they're his films. And so when somebody else comes along and takes over... And, you know, George Lucas isn't involved at all anymore. His his stamp isn't really there. Mm. So it feels differently just because of that.
0: I think it was a pacing thing for me as well. It's it's much faster paced than the previous six films. And even, like, you know, when Irving Kirshner were coming into Empire Strikes Back, it still felt like it was the same style of film. And this at first okay. felt... Quite different. Well,
1: you know, and he had George Lucas hovering mm. over his shoulder, I'm sure, or you know, at least was always looking at the dailies and saying, okay, this yeah. is this is good, but maybe you, I don't, I don't, you know, like I don't, you know, I don't, but I'm just assuming he was still involved with the uh, with the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, even though he had not directed them.
0: And this felt like a transition into a more modern style of filmmaking, which took a bit of getting used to, but by the second time. I, I,
1: I honestly yeah. think that is probably the main thing for me. The first time I saw it was just getting used to the, you know, that it's a different pace, it's a different director. Um, and, you know, although to be fair, he J.J. J. Abrams really made it feel like a Star Wars movie. And I really loved seeing the screen wipes.
0: And yes.
1: Even the irises were there. Irises, right? yeah, yeah.
0: All the transitions. And he did just his directing style a bit. He did tone tone down the sort of fast-cutting, hyperactive mm-hmm. camera that we've seen in his previous films. Funny enough, a few days ago, his Star Trek film, his first Star Trek film, was on TV again, and just looking at the way that was directed, it's the camera's whipping around all over the place compared to what he did with Star Wars. He did keep it more still than he normally does in keeping with that slightly more old-fashioned star. Star Wars is very old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is old-fashioned in exactly. a way, um, and he he sort of adjusted it and made it feel very much like his Star Wars film. Um, and, and
1: I I think I think because I knew what to expect when I went in the second time, and I was able to you know accept that uh, maybe subconsciously that when I walked away from it the second time, I greatly enjoyed it and I was able to appreciate it what it is and. So,
0: anyway. And of course we spent the last week and a half thinking about it a lot and talking about it a lot, discussing it. Um, we've had the soundtrack that we've lived with now for just yeah. over a week and listened through several times and that was a big, I always feel like knowing the themes, to me makes a big difference in Star Wars because I've always felt that like a lot of the emotion oh, yeah. of Star Wars comes from his music. Um, so this time going in, knowing what Ray's theme was, knowing what Poe's theme and Kylo's theme were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it was fun to be able to pick those out and added more of an emotional weight to it for me in a funny way.
1: Absolutely. And I know that some of the tracks aren't technically called Kylo Ren's theme or Poe Dameron's <laughs> theme. I mean, they're, you know, they obviously are connected to the characters because the same, um, beats of music, the same refrains of music are played whenever the character appears on screen. So, um, and that was fun to keep a listen for, you know, when I saw it the third time, um, when Han and Leia were talking about uh, their son, subtly while they were talking, you could hear Kylo Ren's theme playing um, in the background, and I thought that was really neat.
0: So, yeah, it's it's uh, sort of old. You know, each character has a theme, and you can you could almost like just turn the dialogue off and just mm-hmm. follow the story through just listening to the bits of music.
1: And it's amazing how much race theme um, keeps turning up throughout the film. It mm-hmm. was really really neat.
0: Yeah, it's great the way that it's in it's interweaved with Kylo's mm-hmm. theme and the force theme and the duel at the end and the beautiful bit right at the end of the credits where it weaves into the force theme. Right. And the two sort of dovetail almost it's um really cleverly done. You can tell that he wrote that theme to complement the force theme, which is quite right.
1: Oh I think I think the 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 music plays such a huge part of Star Wars and it yeah, I, I feel like in with modern films you don't really get that so much anymore, so it's really nice to
0: have Enriching themes. There's not many people that do memorable themes now. No. And we, we've talked about this before. It's hard to think of the last really memorable theme from a movie. Uh, maybe, I mean, Michael Giacchino's Star Trek theme in 2009 was very good. That one's kind oh, of. Oh, yeah, good.
1: that was that. Yeah, no, no, not to say that, that, that composers today aren't as good as they used to be, because there are really great ones, but it just seems that um, more directors don't put as much emphasis mm. on on maybe personal themes of characters because I think that a character's theme uh, adds a lot to the story because it's in the background and it maybe tell you, it might be telling you something that the dialogue isn't necessarily saying.
0: Mm. Um, I think the style of, of writing soundtracks has changed a lot mm-hmm. in the last few years. It's a lot of pounding drums and horns and things like that now. Yeah, exactly. that, you know, that they complement the action but they're not necessarily memorable in and of themselves. Um, and this, I mean, this soundtrack was a bit more subtle than some of the previous ones. I know some people weren't keen on it for a while, but I think Ray's theme is beautiful, and the Jedi steps at the end. I mean, you were sobbing yesterday, weren't you?
1: <laughs> yes, I. You know, I. It resonated so much more with me because of um, knowing, you know, thanks to the the Star Wars books that have come out since the film and you know initially came out, you get more of the backstory and just knowing that Ray, who's the next Jedi is taking these Jedi steps up to Luke Skywalker knowing where where this where the, mm. those steps are leading and hearing that music and where it's leading her and she's embarking on this next big adventure in her life it just really resonated with me when i saw it yesterday and it it, it really hit me emotionally and i just started to cry <laughs>
0: it's funny says it sort of ties in with obi-wan's line about these are your first steps and think about exactly. that this minute, there you
1: go right it does doesn't it yep, yeah exactly these are your first steps
0: absolutely yeah. it could i mean this film could have been called star wars the call to adventure or something <laughs> if you're looking at it in a
1: well, mythological
0: way then it's yeah that's that, that, that was yeah.
1: that was what it was, and yeah. I, I just, I to me, it just seemed like a very mythic moment in the film, and such a beautiful stepping stone into the next film because it's her, it's going to be the her story of being the Jedi, and being trained by you know our Jedi Luke Skywalker, and it's going to be wonderful to see this evolve and just knowing that those steps are leading her into the the next film so to speak yeah and what
0: i loved actually about the whole sort of last 10 minutes of the film once the duel starts there's not a whole lot of sitting around explaining what's happening after that there's no there's not a scene where they come back and Leia's like oh you've clearly got the force you're going to go and find luke and get to train you you know you can take over the falcon we've sort of adopted you into the family it just tells that through the visuals and the music rather than sitting down and explaining it all which i really like
1: yeah, absolutely. That's why I think soundtracks are so, so important to films, and it's just lovely to have a, a film again where you really feel like the music is very much a part of the story and telling you something, mm. because the, there is no dialogue there, so you're getting it through the music, so I always, to
0: speak. I always kind of wish the Star Wars Blu-rays would have a music-only option. They've never done that, and I think if any film series needs that mm-hmm. or deserves that on the Blu-ray, right. I think Star Wars is. It'd be so interesting to watch them as silent films. It would. Um, it would, But I'd love to do that. Um, the other thing, you, you were talking about knowing a bit more of the backstory. It was fun going in this time knowing a bit more of the, 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 the politics and the way everything, you know, what the relationship is between the New Republic and the First Order and the Resistance is a little bit modelled in the film. It's not completely clear. And the first couple of times I saw it, I felt like I was trying to work it out while I was watching it, which isn't necessarily what you want to be doing. Um, and I do, you know, as someone who grew up with the prequels, I like a bit of that <laughs> in politics, so I almost get the feeling they're a little scared of going near it and maybe they went a bit too far the other way. But um, having read in the visual dictionary and a bit in you know, the Before the Awakening novel, that backstory, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the background of this about appeasement and, you know, the need to stand up and fight evil, or are the New Republic's too interested in politics and just sort of pretending everything's okay um and it was nice going into it this time and being able to just pick out a little bit more of that it is in there it's very subtle and you have to really look for it but it is you know it is there
1: i have to say this is probably a slight tangent but i do want to say that i love the canon novels so much and i still have a lot more to read but the few that i've read so far i love how they tie into the lead-up to this film, and things in the background that aren't mentioned, and don't need to be mentioned, but they're mentioned in the books, like, for example, um, uh, the book Lost Stars, and you know how in Jakku you see that crashed star destroyer that, that Ray is scavenging mm-hmm. through, um, that that's the you know, tied to the two lost, lost stars and the end of it and what happened at the end of it, and you know how that Star Destroyer got there. And just knowing that little bit of stuff, I really enjoyed And I like that with how Lucasfilm and the story group are approaching, how they're, how they're tying everything together in the novels and comics and
0: And we've films. got, we've got an, an entire character in this one, Snap Wexley, played by Greg Grunberg, who was introduced first in the novels. Um, I was trying to think is this the first time that we've had a character introduced in a novel that's then ended up actually on screen? And I'm trying to think was there anyone in the prequels that was like that? I've got a thing Ayless Sakura might have been in a comic book or something before being in the movie, but it's still pretty cool mm-hmm. um to have that that you can read a book and then six months later you're watching a film and oh there he is. Yeah. yeah that's the character I read about in that book set thirty years before this.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, which is which is kinda neat. Um, but get back to the film <laughs> get back to film. yeah i mean a lot of it is funny reading um the you know the initial reviews for this film were amazing there's been the, the criticism that's been becoming a bit more prevalent recently has been how much the film borrows from a new hope um and this is i mean i don't know how you feel about this i can see that argument there is a lot of plot elements that are very, very similar. I mean, Star Wars has always sort of repeated themes and ideas. This repeats A New Hope much more than, say, Phantom Menace did. Um, but I still think there's enough that's new and different in it and a slightly different emphasis in the, the second half of this film that makes it unique enough.
1: Yeah, what were you saying last night about how the emphasis is placed in different areas, and I thought that
0: yeah. was interesting. Yeah, well, it's the... in a New Hope. It's like the, the brilliance of the way that the story of A New Hope is, is, is put together is that everything is about blowing up the Death Star. But Luke's journey and his acceptance of the Force is like intricately tied to that. So like all those that comes together at the end in that moment when he switches off his targeting computer, and the whole story comes together. This one, the destruction of Starkiller Base, is almost like a subplot, and the guy that's doing it is Poe Dameron, who is not really a main character you know, main protagonist in the film. But the more important story is the conflict, first of all, between Han and Kylo, and then between Rey and Kylo. And Rey's acceptance of the Force, you know, her moment of turning off the targeting computer is um, the lightsaber flying into her hand, basically.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point.
0: So it's, it's, you know, it's using some of the same beats, but the emphasis is different. Exactly.
1: So um, that's why, uh, you know, I... I, I can see where, I absolutely see where people are coming from when they say it is a repeat of A New Hope, but at the same time, I think because, as Mark just said, the emphases are in different places, that it makes it its own film, you mm. know, where it doesn't just seem like a rehash of um, the first Star Wars film.
0: And I think that there's enough that is unique and exciting about, in particular, Rey and Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Um, to make this feel fresh.
1: Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. I mean, Ray, I
0: mean, you can talk about Ray, but Ray's yeah. awesome.
1: Oh, Ray's Ray Ray's brilliant. Oh my gosh. Um just I've been a Star Wars fan since I was a little girl and Luke Skywalker was always my very favorite character. And he was he's always been the one I identified with the most or most wanted to be like and I always dreamed that someday Star Wars would do a woman character who where it was her story and you follow her jedi story her becoming a jedi or being a jedi and being the hero but i honestly never thought i would see that because you know to be fair in most stories are centered around male characters and the women are secondary and they're usually relegated to the romantic um plot in the story particularly in fantasy yeah particularly in fantasy and you kind of i mean you do let's be honest here that happens to Leia and it happens to Padme in their respective trilogies so i didn't really have my hopes set too high um for ray you know i kept well i should let me put it this way i really really hoped that she would be the lead and the hero and she would be the jedi but i didn't want to have my mindset that this was where it was going and so when i saw the film it was it was absolutely amazing to see her and to see that, yes, she is the hero, and yes, this is her story, and yes, she's the, she is, you know, for lack of a better term, the Luke Skywalker of this trilogy, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. It's enough to make me cry. <laughs> I'm
0: getting all teary right now. I'm <laughs> all carry right now, and
1: I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I just, I just, I'm so, so, so grateful for Ray, and I just little girl me and old gal me is just so happy to, to see her.
0: And Daisy really so great. Oh, she's she, brilliant. Just she such a great screen presence. There's so much yeah. in her eyes. I, um,
1: I love that she's not that the character Ray isn't sexualized in any way, that, you know, her appearance is never commented on, that her clothes are very practical and they're not cut low, and you absolutely believe that this is an outfit a scavenger would wear, an adventurer would wear. Um,
0: <sighs> There's a lot of inverting of the normal tropes of these films, right. where, you know, every time you, you know someone goes to rescue Ray, she, she gets herself out of the situation herself.
1: You Absolutely. Know, um,
0: the the whole thing with holding hands and yes. to have our hand help, which annoys you and other stuffs, Yes,
1: it? I, I, I really appreciated that scene. I mean, I know it was a small moment, but you know, in so many stories and adventure stories, or, you know, um, you know, stories where there are men and women on some, you know, they're running away from the bad guys, the man always seems to inevitably take the woman's hand as they're running, and every time that always bothers me because I think, why? Why is he doing that? They would run so much faster if they weren't holding hands. And also it seems to say that, oh, you're, you're slower and delicate and more delicate, so let me help you along. And I just that always irritates me. So when she kept saying, why,
0: why do you keep grabbing
1: my hand? I know how to run. I just got a big kick out of that because I really appreciated that because that is kind of a... a common occurrence in stories where the man takes the woman's hand as they're running away from explosives or whatever
0: so the bit the the bit that we always sort of look at each other at that that point is when she's trying to point finn towards the right tools in the (laughs) toolbox and she's like no no that one note the one i'm pointing to because we all say yeah that's 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 familiar
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have to say that that is very much a me moment, <laughs> <laughs> so it always makes me laugh because I'm like, oh, thank goodness, I'm the, the only
0: one. I've seen it; just really funny in general. Right? No, it, it is.
1: It is very <laughs> funny. I thought that was really well done, and I loved it. And I loved it when BBA um had pointed out, point out the tool that Ray was pointing at to Finn because Finn was just not getting it. So BBA rolled over and be down and pointed it out, which was really cute.
0: <laughs> and it, it, it's funny a lot since the film came out. A lot of the talk about it has been speculating on Rey's parentage, mm-hmm. which I kind of think is a shame that that is dominating so much of the debate, because I think that it is actually missing what's important about her character, mm-hmm. but we can't really talk about her without talking about that, we still don't know right. who her parents were, um, I think at this point it'd be kind of weird if she was Luke's daughter, she's clearly not Hannah Leia's daughter, I don't think,
1: <clears throat> point, no, but, I don't know how that would be possible.
0: But if, if she was Luke's daughter, I'm not necessarily sure what that would add to the story at this point.
1: It, what What is funny for me personally is that before I saw this film, my heart was completely set on her being Luke's daughter. I wanted her to be a Skywalker so badly. I just... I don't know, I just love the idea of a woman Skywalker, and I still, if it, if that's how it turns out to be, that's fine, and I think, oh, yeah. you know, that alone is very cool. But, now after having seen the film, even after the first time I saw the film, I'm, I've am i done a total 180, and I really don't want her to be um, the daughter of anybody that we know of. I want her to be her own person. I want this power to come from within her, and not because it was genetically passed on to her through some line, whether it be the Skywalker line or I've seen people speculate that she's a Kenobi. So, you know, that's...
0: Accents are genetic apparently. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I mean...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) No, but, um, you know, I just, I think it is really, really important that she's not a Skywalker. And also I think that, um, opens up the story more for it to go in different directions you know and um but yeah that that's just how i feel about it personally
0: the the sense i got from it i just like the idea that this um, this young woman has been almost chosen by the force Mm -hmm. to not only come and like save the galaxy but sort of redeem the mistakes of that family she doesn't have a family of her own there's a lot of symbolism towards the end of hugging leia flying the falcon that implies that she's become almost an adopted daughter of that family, and um, that is just as valid as being um, a blood relative.
1: Maybe part of her journey is to save the Skywalker legacy. Legacy, yes. absolutely. It's, it's
0: reached a point at this story where what is the legacy going to be? Is it going to be Kylo Ren, or is it going to be the wisdom that Luke can pass down? You know, right to someone else. Is it going to be Anakin or Vader? What's going to be the thing that's carries this family into the history books um and it's still you know it in a sense it's still the story of darth vader and this is what is the legacy he's passing on now
1: exactly and i just i think i think in terms of stories from myth it it's befitting that she's not that well that you know i hate to call her nobody but that she just is this every person on yeah and, and if
0: i mean the first thing that you're doing by having ray not be a skywalker is drawing a contrast with kylo ren is sort of obsessed with the fact that he's a skywalker he's obsessed with the entitlement to power that he thinks that bloodline gives him and if you then got a young girl who doesn't have that it, you know but becomes part of that family through um, her actions that there's a nice com- you know, a nice conflict that they can play with in the next two films. Right. I... But the, the force actually running in families um, is something that I never thought was like a, a a scientific one-to-one thing. Even when you stop bringing midi-chlorians into it, I never thought that a, a child of force-sensitive parents would automatically be sensitive to the force, or that a child had to have force-sensitive parents to be sensitive to the force. I, think, I don't think it's that simple.
1: No, because... If that were the case, then Jedi would be uh, procreating, right? Well, it's it, it's funny. I mean, th- I mean, I know not all children who are Force sensitive are found necessarily in the galaxy. No,
0: I mean, it, obviously it runs strong strong in the Skywalkers because Anakin was particularly powerful right. with it. But I mean, I was reading. I've just finished reading one of the servants of the Empire books by Jason Fry, which pretty explicitly states that two siblings. It is very possible for one of them to be sensitive in the Force and one of them not to be. So I don't think that Rey necessarily has to come from some great Jedi lineage.
1: Yeah, I just always assumed that the Force chose the individual and not not genetics, that it was a genetic thing that was passed on from generation to generation. I
0: think that people misunderstand sort of what minichlorians are. I don't think they're meant to be this scientific thing. I think they're actually more interesting than that, but... Um, you know, I, I to me, the mystery is interesting about who her parents are, but if it turns out they're just nobodys, that's fine. yeah, that's uh, that
1: is that is what I'm hoping for personally is that her parents aren't relevant to who she is or the story that she's just a every person uh with a humble background. and I find that to be actually more interesting. In a lot of ways, than if she were to be Luke Skywalker's daughter. But if she ends up being Luke Skywalker's daughter, I'll be, you know, I'll be absolutely fine with that too, because mm. it'll be, like I said earlier, wonderful to see a woman Skywalker who's a Jedi and a hero. I mean, I, I, we absolutely have a woman Skywalker with Leia, but um, it would be neat to see one who becomes a Jedi.
0: And it's, I mean, that moment, <laughs> that moment, uh, sort of described as the Excalibur moment, when,
1: Exactly. The lightsaber
0: goes to her. There's so many ways you can read that. I mean, some people read it, that oh, that means she's a Skywalker because that's Skywalker's lightsaber. Uh, I just,
1: when I first saw it, I read it as an Excalibur moment, which to me just sort of reinforces my personal take that she's not... Well, see, that's right. Like you said, you could read it both ways.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and some people like, read it as, does this just imply that she's more powerful than Kylo? I mean, the way I choose to read it is that like, this is the Force choosing her. Right. Um, it's not necessary that she's more powerful. It's just that she's.
1: Or that she's a that, You
0: know, we know that the Force has its own will, and that it chose this person.
1: That the Force wanted her to have it, not Kylo Ren, who um, technically is the rightful heir to it because it's his grandfather's and uncle's. But the Force wants Ray to have it because she's the chosen one through mm. the Force.
0: And it's that's a thing that, weirdly enough, goes back to the prequels. This idea that the Force has this will, and it chooses people and gets events in motion in order to sort of maintain its own balance in a way when it feels that things are going they're becoming imbalanced mm-hmm. or disharmonious. Right. Um but then of course once it's chosen the person it's up to that person's individual choices what actually happens so it's not just about destiny it isn't it's not predetermined it's it gives the people these tools and then but they have to them. they have to live up to it
1: yeah it's up to them to decide what to do with it
0: yeah yeah. Uh, and it's again, it's interesting. that I particularly picked this up this time. How angry Rey is in that final duel yeah. when she lets the Force in fully and allows it to, you know, fill her up. And she really, you can see it in her eyes. It's and there's a lot of aggression and fury in that, which is, as we know from previous films, is a sign of the dark side. Um, it reminded me quite a lot of Luke attacking Vader right at the end of Return of the Jedi and cutting off his hand. Um, you do wonder what would have happened if that chasm hadn't got in the way at that mm-hmm. point
1: exactly but you know I also chose to see it that because she hasn't been properly trained yet and how to focus her you know how to push out the anger or focus on the light that she's just tapping into her emotions to, to fight Kylo Ren because
0: she's very untrained at this point she's explo- well that, she's got no training she's got no well.
1: training yeah. she's just She's just using her, her anger and emotions and, frankly, hatred, I'm sure, towards Kylo Ren to, to be able to fight him.
0: And all the heroes of the story, the Star Wars story so far, Anakin and Luke, they both had to go through that, um, overcoming the power of their emotions, overcoming the temptation of the dark side. Anakin didn't do it; Luke did, so you'd imagine that Rey at some point is going to have to confront that in this trilogy, um, because it, that, that is almost like the key the key story, in a way, of Star Wars, I mm-hmm. suppose, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's it is that it is that journey in accepting and confronting the, the, the dark side inside of them. Exactly. That the conflict and comes from
1: accepting it and uh, learning from it. Yeah, not letting it, not letting it can, it not letting it power over you. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And it it's interesting this time going in and the, the there's a vision sequence part way through this film in Maz Kanata's castle, when um, Ray first encounters the lightsaber. that it goes so quickly that the first couple of times we saw it, it was really hard to sort of pay attention to what's going on. It's hard to work out what's a flashback, what is just a vision through the Force. Um, but there's a lot of, lot of interesting stuff in there. And the, the thing that I was sort of paying attention to this time was the revelation last week that Ewan McGregor recorded some dialogue as Obi-Wan's ghost, basically. Um, and that they combined his voice with Alec Guinness. So you have Alec Guinness, an old recording of Alec Guinness has been edited to say Ray, and then Ewan McGregor comes in and says, these are your first steps. And knowing that was him was really cool this time. Oh, Yes,
1: <laughs> I have to say, this is again an example of knowing what to look out for and knowing the story behind the scene and you know that Ewan McGregor was a part of it and how they edited Alec, Alec Guinness to say, Ray, it really made it that much more emotional for me, and I just it, it really love that scene so much, and, and it's so much fun to try to pick out what's going on, mm-hmm. and what's being said, and and uh, trying to figure it all out, what so, does this mean, I, mean I love this scene.
0: I mean, the Hugh McGregor thing, you know, you McGregor was like, for someone who grew up really with the prequels, Hugh McGregor was like the hero of Star Wars for me mm-hmm. as, as Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan was kind of the hero of those films. Um, and he was sort of, um, you know, like the ultimate Jedi but also like really charming and funny and all the rest of it. So just hearing his voice in this was really, really great. And um, I'm so pleased that he did that. <laughs> it
1: was, it was brilliant, it was brilliant, and it just makes that thing pop that much more knowing that both, both of our. Are Ben Kenobi's
0: out <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah. And um, I mean, in terms of the flashback itself, it is it is hard, as I say, to, to, to work out what is a flashback and what is a vision. I mean, the, the thing that stood out to me this time was when Ray sees the memory of herself, sort of, you imagine, with her parents flying away, um, leaving her behind on Jakku. Um, she's actually looking at herself. So she's not seeing it through her own eyes, but she's seeing it almost as a vision rather than as a memory, which is interesting because that kind of implies, you know, they don't do these things by accident. It kind of implies that the other stuff is a vision rather than a memory. So she wasn't really there when Luke Skywalker was saying goodbye to R2-D2. That's just something that she's seeing, Mm -hmm. I think. And she wasn't really there when the Knights of Ren were doing whatever they were doing in the rain. Um, And, you know, killing all those people. Were they Jedi? Were they something else? Um, But one sort of thought I'd had in the last week there's been a lot of speculation, was Ray actually at that Jedi Academy as a young girl? Has she lost her memory? Um, was she Luke's daughter and at the Academy as a young girl and she lost her memory? But I was sort of thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if um, it is just the case that Kylo and the Knights of Ren are either massacring people at that Academy or sort of going out and looking for Force-sensitive children who may be a threat to them, and that Ray is someone that Kylo, in his compassion... What he sees as a weakness, which is a big, big part of his character, he let her escape. He just, you know, just paused for that one second, just hesitated for that one moment, and that allowed her to escape, which is why he's so interested when he finds out there's this girl who suddenly turned up. Yeah,
1: I think and that's a very interesting theory.
0: there's a lot that, you know, she's like a ghost from his past, reminding him of his compassion, that that is still a part yeah. of him, that he's working so hard to get rid of. And there's places they can go with that in the next two films, if that's what it is.
1: Which also I think kind of makes a lovely inversion to Anakin Skywalker, where he, you know, for example, killed all those little children, and if mm. Kylo Ren saved this one little girl, and his moment to him, his moment of weakness was I saved this one person, and oh my gosh, now it's gonna come back and bite me. I had a moment of weakness, whereas you know, Anakin,
0: it didn't, and and yeah, and his whole thing is like living up to Vader, isn't it? Kylo, his whole exactly. thing is trying to... Be, and actually trying to be better than Vader. Yeah. Actually trying not even to have that final sympathetic that Vader had. Um, I mean, we should talk about Kylo,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. um, he's so interesting.
1: He is very interesting. And Adam
0: Driver is so good. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, I mean, the, the, the question that's come out of it, it has been, he kills his father. But the one thing that Luke never did when he was almost turning to the dark side um, the one thing that you know Vader never allowed to happen was his son being killed. Kylo's actually done it. He's actually killed a family member. So is he still redeemable? Has he gone beyond it? Apparently the novelization implies that he hasn't. It implies that he's actually more conflicted than ever after he's done it. It's certainly there in his eyes. I
1: think. Absolutely. It is. I, At least the way I read Adam Driver's performance, I still feel like he has light in him I know that doesn't make any sense because he just killed his father but I just still feel like he he didn't reach that dark dark place he was hoping to reach I don't know I there's just something in his eyes that seems like you said that he still seems conflicted
0: mm. Yeah. And, then and it
1: didn't solve what he was hoping it would solve
0: and that maybe he felt more um, regretful about it than he thought he would right possibly yeah um, yeah, such an interesting character he is and um, I sort of feel that his whole thing is, what, you know, what's, and you see this in the performance as well, is he really wants to be Darth Vader, but he doesn't have that control, he doesn't have that um, full sense of purpose that Vader had for all those years until he found out that he still had a son um, he's more like an earlier Anakin, like an Attack of the Clones Anakin, who'd already gone to the dark side, he's angry, he's petulant He's whining. He's conflicted by his emotions. Um, He's not reached that sort of deadened emotion that Vader had after Padme died. And so it's... um,
1: Well, see, because Anakin thought he, you know, after... Especially after Padme died, he just thought he lost everything. And so hmm? it was really easy for him to fully go to the dark side oh yeah
0: the, the one reason he turned he, he, and he thought he was responsible for it well he was really yeah but, he
1: was um,
0: he was told he was directly responsible for it and that you know basically killed that the last bit of good in him for the next 20 years
1: and i think with kylo ren it's kind of the opposite because he he has this family he has people who love him and care about him and as we see in the film he's so desperate to Get that light out, but it seems to still be seducing him mm. as early in the movie. And um, and I think you know, I'm sure part of it is because he still has his family, and, and I don't know, it's there in the back of his mind. And and Leia still believes of, in him, and still Leia th- still believes in him, and so and Anakin had nothing, uh, mm. nothing, so it was easy to go to the dark side. All he had was Palpatine. That all he was the had only was thing Palpatine, yeah. and so he fully mm. embraced it. Whereas I still can't quite believe that Kylo Ren has fully embraced the dark side. I don't know, maybe I have too much
0: hope for him. Well, just from a dramatic point of view, if, if he's completely irredeemable, it makes it kind, kind of boring. Boring,
1: yeah, it does. yeah. That too, absolutely. It,
0: or, or very un Star Wars like in a way. It's you know, like
1: a cut and paste.
0: Yeah, if if like Ray's journey is just going to be oh, she has to become powerful enough to kill Kylo Ren. Hmm. That seems like a missed opportunity, I suppose. I, think I mean, so. they, if they're going to redeem him, they have to do it in a different way than Vader was redeemed. Right. They can't just repeat that exact same way of doing it, but I'd be, I, I don't think that he's gone.
1: Also, Star Wars, I mean, part of it, I think, appeal and joy is that it's very operatic. And so I think if there were layers to Kylo Ren and his story, you know, through the end of episode 9, if it was just a straightforward cut and paste where Ray has to kill him and you know, end up, then it's not as overly emotional,
0: mm-hmm. I guess? I don't yeah. know. And they seem to be as interested as in telling the villain story as the hero story exactly.
1: this time. Exactly. Because, and, I mean, even look at the poster, and how it's set up, and, and Kylo Ren and Ray are sort of like mirror yeah. images of each other, that yin and yang of each other, so I think that these films are just as much about the villain as they are about the hero. And, uh, Just as I noticed that there was an inversion with Anakin and Kylo Ren, whereas, you know, Anakin Skywalker is trying to repress the dark side in him, whereas Kylo is trying to repress the light side in him. So that's an interesting inversion between the two villains of um, the respective trilogies that I find there's also an inversion between Luke Skywalker and Rey because um, if you look at... Well, when, when you meet Luke in A New Hope, he's yearning to get off of Tatooine. You know, he wants to go and join the rebellion, and he can't wait to leave. And in fact, um, in Empire Strikes Back, Yoda even says to Obi-Wan Kenobi that, um, you know, all his, he says all his life he's looked away to the future, to the horizon, never on his mind, um, never, you know, on his mind where he was. Right, so Luke is always looking ahead, and if you when we meet Ray, what is she doing? She's waiting on Jakku. She's waiting for her family to return, and then as soon as she gets off Jakku, um, she can't wait to get back there because she's stuck in the past mm. because she's waiting for her family. And um, even Maz says to her, and you know, I'm not quoting exactly here, but um, she says something to the effect of you know, the belonging you seek does not lie behind you, it lies ahead, so that's to me another really neat conversion with those two characters, our two heroes, uh, Luke's fault seems to be he's not in the present, he's looking ahead, he's looking to the future, he can't wait to leave, mm-hmm. and Ray's the exact opposite, she's she's yearning for the past, she's living in the past, she she wants to go back home, because that's where she's stuck mentally, yeah. and and is saying, no, you need to
0: Move forward. move forward. It's like they're, they're doing. It's like they're not just repeating the same heroes right. and villains we've seen before. They're actually switching it around and doing kind of the opposite with them in some ways, aren't they?
1: Exactly, and I think that's really, really neat. And so I, I just sort of feel like maybe in the sequel trilogy we're getting an inversion of yeah. the two heroes and the two villains.
0: No. yeah yeah so, I um, should mention uh, I have to mention this you knew instantly like as soon as Han Solo stands there and shouts out Ben you turned to me and you said I knew he was gonna say that <laughs> I did
1: as as Han Solo was walking down the, the um uh bridge I guess and as he's walking towards Kylo, I said he's going to say Ben I know he's going to say Ben and then he said Oop. Ben and I was like Whoa! How did I know? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't honest <laughs> to goodness, I did not know that that was Kylo Ren's real name, but it just popped into my head right
0: before I said it, and I was like,
1: oh gosh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I was interested to know why they, they called him Ben, what happened later, like, but they called him yeah, Ben, which is funny, yeah. what's the story behind that? But
1: yeah.
0: I suppose it, I suppose it establishes that Han is, was made a true believer in a way, because he was always quite yeah snotty about Ben in the first yeah. movie, Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, I suppose. Or an end of after Ben Coroneros, which is my preferred. Theory. No,
1: no. Pod racing. No. Okay. I like pottery, so.
0: <laughs>
1: no um, maybe old Han was was more fond of Kenobi in the brief. Yeah, I like that idea. The <laughs> well, moment he knew him than he ever let on.
0: Yeah,
1: no, no, I like that. Or and this, it's just actually popped into my head. Maybe in in a weird sort of way. Maybe it you know Ben it's Ben Kenobi. If you think about it, that brought. Han and Leia together, because,
0: mm. you know, the
1: start of the story of A New Hope is Leia sending R2 off to look for Ben Kenobi, and then, you know, how does Han get involved in the story? It's Ben, ben, ben and Luke needing a way off of, of, of um, the planet, so so it's really kind of Ben who brought them together yeah. in a really obtuse sort of way. I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head I like head. that. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but I that's
0: this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, That completely no, makes sense. Know. <laughs> I like it. Um, going back to Ray and Kylo as a sort of duo um, hero and villain in this, um, the thing that was on our minds for a while, particularly after the second viewing, we were sort of coming around to the idea that maybe that could potentially be the central romance. Assuming that they're not related. Right. That in a sort of inversion of Anakin's story, and you were thinking about this particularly, that it could be romantic love that brings him back rather than takes him to the dark side.
1: Right, because if you look at Anakin Skywalker, what pushed him to the dark side initially? It was a selfish kind of love for his wife Padme because he was so... Worried about losing her, and he wanted to have control over it.
0: He wanted to control her fate, and he wanted
1: he? to control her fate. That really, that is kind of a selfish love. Mm. Um, he, you know, couldn't let go of that, and um, you know, maybe with Kylo Ren, and I know this probably sounds a bit ridiculous, but maybe, maybe it's a selfless love that brings him back to the light, whether it's through Ray, or through his mother, uncle, I don't know, but something. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting to have that possibility of the hero and mm-hmm. the villain, but at the same time...
0: <laughs> and, and Well, I think that what's interesting now is the fact that Okay, they're not brother and sister. We can, I think we can pretty safely say that they're not brother and right. sister. Um, so one of the ways they could go was the way that the old expanded universe went, where it's a brother and sister, and one if the brother's on the dark side and the sister has to bring him back. They've, so if they're cousins, that's not nearly as powerful as brother and sister, and it's not really as strong as a romantic.
1: Right, connection. exactly, and also you sort of already have that family story yeah. in the Expanding universe, so we don't need to retread that again through the film. sorry, expanded universe fans. Well, yeah,
0: but it, you know, and that—that's you know, that would have been a good story. Yeah, it would but have been a good, st- I, I but don't... it's already
1: gone down that road.
0: Yeah, she can't be, she can't be Leia's daughter, so they're not doing that.
1: And with cousins, like you said, it doesn't seem to be quite as strong as it strong would be with a brother
0: and sister. So. Um, I sort of think there's more potential if she's not related now than if she is. Right. You know, and
1: so a romantic angle would be an interesting one.
0: Um, Although I know that you felt a bit less sure about this after Yeah, yesterday. after
1: I saw it the third time, I have to say I'm not quite as convinced. That the story is gonna go that way. So I, I I it was an idea I had the first couple of times I saw it after the third time, not so sure. And also just personally speaking, I would be really, really, really happy if Ray made it through all three films and she didn't have any kind of romantic story at all because I think it would be incredibly refreshing to have a woman hero who's not caught up in any kind of romance because even the very rare time you have a woman hero, whether it be in a, in a novel or in a film, she inevitably ends up getting romantically involved with someone. And that's not a bad thing at all. Absolutely not. It, it, it isn't, you know. But it just would be a change to have a woman hero not be romantically involved with someone because, you know, you do regularly have stories where the male hero doesn't wind up with someone. Like Luke Skywalker, yep. for example, didn't end up with someone. It's so very nice to see if a woman didn't. But, you know, we'll Maybe. see the way it goes. When
0: everyone seems convinced she's going to end up with Finn. Yeah. Um I'm not. I, well, I, I I don't know. I, I could see it, but I'm not sure I want it. I like them being friends.
1: Yeah. I, I I would really like it if they just stayed best friends because again, like I said, if you have a male and female lead, they always almost always end up together. And it would be so wonderful and lovely and refreshing if the male and female lead in in a story didn't end up together, but they stayed the best of friends because you don't have enough stories out there where men and women are great friends and that's it. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, Finn is great. I mean, I love John Viega, mm-hmm. he's so, I mean, he's like the best person in interviews. Like, you see, any interview when the cast are being interviewed, he's so funny and witty, and he's so good at this film. Yeah, he he's is. got such great comic timing, um, a, a lot of sort of screen presence.
1: I think he's sort of the audience stand-in in a way. Yeah. Um, I didn't think
0: of that, but I guess you're right. Yeah.
1: He's our character that we identify with.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And I, and he's got an interesting story too, and I am really looking forward to learning more about him and his backstory. Um, I haven't read Before the Awakening yet, but I'm assuming you get some of that. You in get that. a bit.
0: Yeah. 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 It's it's, it's very interesting, and he's. Um, you know, I like his his story of sort of having to find his his, his courage to fight, right? Uh, rather than just run away, right? Um, which seems a very very sort of Star Wars theme. A lot of people still seem to think he's going to have the Force or he's going to be trained as a Jedi at some point in the trilogy, and I I didn't get that feeling at all. I mean, I think people are still in the mindset of the marketing, which had him with a lightsaber everywhere, so everyone was just assuming that Finn was going to be the Jedi. Um, which was a great bit of misdirection. Well, it was either misdirection or it was just thinking, well, people are only going to see this if they think the boy is the Jedi. I don't know. I don't want to be too cynical about that, but maybe.
1: Um, I... I'll
0: give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's misdirection, I think.
1: I think it is misdirection, and I kind of feel like the movie sort of pushed us further that way when Finn when says to Han Solo... Well. Um, oh, we can just use the force, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and says, that's not how the force works. Yeah. So I thought that was a bit of a, a jokey line about it, you know,
0: sort of. I did. I do. I do love that line. Yeah, I it's great. great. It's but, really great. Yeah, uh, and I think, uh, to me, that sort of drew a line under it. Right. Like he's not, which is not doesn't make him any lesser of a character. It just means no. he's not going to be the Jedi.
1: And you know, not not all heroes in Star Wars need to have Force abilities. So mm-hmm. I think it's just as important to have heroes in Star Wars who aren't Force-sensitive, who just use their wits.
0: But can be equally encourage. brave and important. Yeah. And, you know everything So I else. think
1: that would be uh, quite important for him not to have Force-sensitivity, just because it would be great to, to see this everyday person yeah. be a hero. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And um, the, Poe Dameron as right. well, we should talk about, played right. by Oscar Isaac, who, he's one of those characters that the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, he wasn't very much, right. but then the more I've seen it, and thought about it, and read other people's thoughts on it, he's actually a really good character, and an interesting character, um, because he's not a sort of swaggering cowboy type at all, um, but he's actually a, a very um, idealistic, and principled, um, and sort of compassionate hero, he's, but, it's, but it's still very cool.
1: He's the three C's. He's compassionate, confident. Well, he's two C's and not the third C. Compassionate, <laughs> confident, but not cocky, which oh. I really like about him.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I love him, and he's it, it, and for a small role, the fact that this Oscar Isaac and he has such a, such great charisma and all of that, yeah. it makes him memorable. Anyway, I love his relationship with Finn, yeah. which you know I believe hope there may be more to that than a bromance. That seems to be the thing that the internet has taken hold of.
1: That, that's my hope, that um, the two, two male, that the, you know, because you always get two males and a female in a story, and it would be yeah. nice if it was the two males who ended up romantically involved, and time. that the woman just goes off and saves the day. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: I mean, I I totally got that thing the first time I saw it. I, I did,
1: I, I mean, I, I saw it even before I saw the movie, I was picking it up in the trailers. Granted, how much of that is just pure hope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe a lot, but... But I, I think it would be pretty darn cool if, if they did that.
0: I love the person who described it. I can't remember who it was now, but someone in an article described it as like the camera s- sort of spins around in like a Regency romance, <laughs> I mean, like a dance, like a ball scene. Yeah, know. that's great. It's, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I'd love it. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 those two characters, whether it just remain a friendship or it's more than that, either way, they have really good uh, chemistry together. Mm.
0: Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. Um, we should mention Donald Gleeson as General Hawks oh. as well. Who, I, I mean, he's the sort of performance that I almost enjoy more than any of the others because it's like old school Star Wars ham. Like, it is.
1: He's, <laughs> to me, he is the um total star wars character and i love him so much i know that there are people out there i think he's over the top and of course he's over the top but that's that's all part of his charm and his his nuttiness and <laughs> um i i don't know i think donald gleason is just so so brilliant and i love him and i love his speech to the stormtroopers and the officers yep. and oh and his body language <laughs> Just watch his body language and the way he stands and walks. and so oh, He sort so of has good. that
0: OTT villain thing of like a human general grievous or something. He's like this dastardly villain. And
1: I and I love that he is like he... When he says his dialogue, it's full of... Mm, I don't know. it's, it's mm, You know, like... Spitting his lines he's out. He's barely restrained in, sort of fury, yeah, isn't there? And, and, and the the antagonistic relationship he has with Kylo Ren <laughs> and you just see him sneering at Kylo Ren all the time there's so yeah. much wonderful sneering going on and just <laughs> ugh, you know he better be in the next movie that's all I can say because every time he comes on screen I'm just like
0: what going that all the first order people are, like so young It gives it this sort of radical Hitler youth type
1: Right, which is really
0: it? scary. Uh, yeah, which just does make it more scary, <laughs> right. I think. In a way. It's like a very extreme version of what the Empire was. Um, but he's great. I'm glad that he's still alive. I really thought he was going to die in this. I always thought there had to be one of the villains that was killed. And in the end, like, none of them were. No, um, I I,
1: I, was, I, have to say I was completely convinced that he was not going to make it to the end of this film. I absolutely was convinced, though, that there is a smidgen of hope that he might make it to the next movie. Um especially since he had to go save Kylo Ren, that I'm hoping, yes, mm-hmm. he might make it. I hope so. Um, one thing I want to be sure to mention, because you are mentioning the young officers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what another thing that made me really, really happy to see in this film, both um, on the Resistance side and the New Order side, Of the diversity of the um, officers and stormtroopers and crew and whatnot in the background on both sides, that you see women, that you see people of color, that you see um, aliens. And, you know, I just, I loved that, you know, especially, especially in the empire because you only ever saw white men before yeah and it's kind
0: of funny because if you read the books now yes they're sort of retroactively going back and saying oh okay there were like you know there were there were right. there were a lot of women and, and, and so on in the empire at the time then you watch the films yeah. and it's all like British just, white men
1: right yeah. <laughs> which is great because when I was watching The Force Awakens I was thinking oh my gosh it's just like the books this yeah. is great it's like how the books describe it and and, it, and I, I, oh, I loved seeing that that made me
0: so happy that was great that was great. And talk about that. I mean, Captain Phasma, who actually wasn't in the film that much, um, which is kind of a shame. Right. Um. I mean, she was she was a great presence, but only like three scenes, as far as I can remember. I'm glad she's still going to be around because I think there's more that they can mm-hmm. they can do with her. I I mean, we did you know we talked about this when we came out, but it, it it does seem a bit easy that she basically just turns the shield generator off because they threatened to shoot her, and I'm like thinking would have sort of idealistic first order officer you know right. senior officer do that I don't that, know it's,
1: I have to say that was one of the moments in the film that didn't sit well with me and I know it's a small moment but I just felt character wise with someone in her position of power and very gung-ho first order nature that she wouldn't collapse so easily and be like okay I'll lower the shields for you since you're putting a gun in my head. I would think that because she is, especially because she's so big and powerful that she could easily swing around and slap thin. Or yeah. or she would just go down with the ship and say, nope, I'm not going to yeah, do well, this. Have,
0: you get the sense in the rest of the film that they're the sorts of people that would sacrifice right. themselves for the cause, you know.
1: Right. So I, I just felt like just the way she was presented earlier, I don't know, especially in that position that she would say, yeah, go ahead and kill me. I'm not doing this for you because I'm all about serving the First Order, and, yeah, this isn't going to happen. So I just thought that was a bit of a weak moment in the story, but, oh, well, what can you do?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely sort of feel like that. Maybe there's a deliberate, maybe there is a part of the character there that's still to be um, uh, yeah, explored You never know. That, but I don't you know. You never know. Until the skips past it so quickly that, I, you know, you never it's, know. it's hard to tell. Um, I mean, the... There's a few, I mean, the CGI characters in this, there's, there's two. We've got Supreme Leader Snoke, played by Andy Serkis. So I'm still not kind of, I still kind of don't know what to make of him. I mean, it's hard to judge what his character is going to be, because let's face it, if you'd seen the original trilogy, you wouldn't judge Palpatine based on his hologram appearance in Empire Strikes Back. So I sort of don't want to be too, right. you know, read really too into at Right, we don't know anything. Um, but the visual look of him doesn't quite look like a Star Wars character.
1: It's more like a Harry Potter character. Harry Potter villain.
0: I've seen described as like more like a Marvel villain. Okay. Which maybe. Um, I, don't know. I
1: always kept thinking Harry Potter for some reason when yeah. I
0: watched
1: the watched it the first time. Um, I'm kind of hoping that that's just uh, an illusion that he actually looks completely different but I don't know I doubt it it's I'm actually, sure that's really who he
0: is it could be Jar Jar couldn't it
1: could oh <laughs> <laughs> no it's going to be wicked yeah <laughs> wicked <like that>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually three been pulling all the probably
1: that's it it's going to be like the Wizard of Oz
0: yeah it could be I mean that's that will be an interesting twist <laughs> on curtain pulls
1: aside and it's just yeah <laughs> just C-3PO pulling the strings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but Maz Kanata, played by Lupita Nyong'o, totally felt like a Star Wars uh-huh. character to me. And I thought she was great. She was really funny. And...
1: Oh, I loved her. She, oh, she to me, re- yeah, like Mark just said, really felt like a Star Wars character to me. And I'm dying to know about her. And I'm really hoping there will be books written about Maz. Mm. Because she's, she, this was, the small amount of time she was on screen, she just had so much presence and character. I mean, And they really liked her a lot. She's
0: apparently been around for like a thousand years or something. Yeah. So they could easily do oh, yeah. like a comic book where she meets Yoda or something, which would be great. Yeah, back in the Old Republic days. Yeah. Um, we should talk about BB 8 as well because we've not mentioned him, her right. it.
1: Right. It. Yeah, they, I, they, they it, always, I noticed in the film that, that BB 8 is always referred to as it. So BB 8 doesn't have a gender. Yeah,
0: apparently. But, um, but which is uh, fine. BB 8 is so great. I love BB-8.
1: Oh, I love BB-8 too. I so much for per- again to just continue the line of astromech droids has tons of personality bursting at the themes and you know my big weakness are, are astromech <laughs> droids. So BB-8 joins my lovely little family <laughs> of beloved astromech droids, and yeah.
0: yeah. The, the little moment with the welding torch, with a thumbs up. <laughs> with ben. I love that.
1: Oh, that's that was really. And funny. the excitement <laughs> of being reunited
0: with Pearl as well. That oh, was the,
1: yeah. I have several moments throughout the film that just make my heart burst, <laughs> and that is definitely one of them. When, when Poe and BB-8 are reunited, and Be- and Poe is so excited, he's like, "Buddy!" And
0: BB-8 nearly knocks Finn yes. over. It, uh, oh, I, over I just
1: think that is such a great moment in the story, and and I, I, you know, I think it's a very Star Wars moment, actually. You know, between this man and his droid, and the relationship they have, and the love, and you know. And, and I liked seeing that a human was really happy to see a droid because mm. I know if it were me, <laughs> it, yeah. Well, we won't go there. But anyway,s just, they, they you be, love your astromech. I love my
0: Chopper as well. Oh, yeah. Chopper,
1: yeah. And,
0: and R two, who it wasn't like the most heartbreaking thing in the film with the was. fact that R two had shut himself down.
1: Oh yeah, that was that was um, very sad actually. As a as a massive R two D two fan, it just broke my heart.
0: Because it it, it feels that R two is always such a central part of Star Wars, and almost like the whole saga is from his point of view, in a weird way, because mm-hmm. he's like the one constant character throughout all the previous six films. So to have him there just under a sheet, <laughs> um, it's really sad. <laughs> but I was so sort of glad that he went at the end to find Luke with Ray. Yeah. I was so glad that it was him, because that's exactly right. It should be him. Oh
1: my gosh, that that was another thing that uh made the. The waterworks go with with having Ray look back and seeing Chewbacca and and dear R two D two down there and R two being you know <laughs> happy you know and oh I can't wait to see Luke and R two D two together Luke, again
0: <laughs> I mean Luke that um, to, to end the film like that mm. was was incredible it
1: was. Oh, that was... I loved that. And I don't care that he was only in it for, what, a minute tops? I don't know. It didn't have any dialogue. And it didn't have any dialogue, but his eyes and his facial expressions just yeah. spoke volumes. And I, I loved it, and I love that's how it ended.
0: Yeah, it was so a good. a very underrated actor, I think, Mark Hamill, yeah. for his performance in 4, 5, and 6, because he's so good all the way through, all mm-hmm. three of them. Um, yeah, it was a very, very strong moment. You can tell that they're setting it up for him to have a much much bigger role Mm -hmm. um, in in the next film.
1: Oh my gosh, I could play that end scene over and over again.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's quite a, and just thinking about what a bold move it is to make this the Han Solo film and then kill him. Um, I mean, whether there was any sense coming into it that Harrison Ford said, okay, I'll do it if you kill him because he, as everyone knows, wanted Han to die in Return of the Jedi and felt that that should happen. Um, But it's like the one thing that, you know, I, I, I didn't read the expanded universe, but it's like the one big thing they never did was go in and kill one of the big three main characters. And so, you know, they've done this in the first film, so bold move. Very bold move, um, but it works. Yeah, it it makes it, as we said, so much more of a kind of soap opera.
1: It does. That you
0: have this family relationship. quite operatic,
1: quite Greek tragedy. It's like a Greek tragedy.
0: And it has this, you know, it does feel like the continuation of the Skywalker saga because of that moment on the bridge there. Oh.
1: Yeah, completely. I know. It's so beautiful when you think about it in terms of the Skywalker saga.
0: And Harrison Ford and Adam Driver are just amazing in that scene.
1: Oh. Um, and the whole hand reaches out and touches his face yeah, right after. Kylo yeah. stabs him. Yeah. Oh, um, my word.
0: It's hard. And I feel so horrible for Leia as well. I mean, God, she didn't deserve right. all this, did she? It's...
1: And again, like with Alderaan, she didn't really have time to mourn. She had to keep plugging away and moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Because, you know, life doesn't stop.
0: Because that's what she does.
1: Yeah, because that's what she does. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I... Yeah, it was great seeing that on screen again and hearing the music.
1: Oh, and okay. Han Solo and
0: Princess Leia theme. and mm. Yeah. it's oh, um, I've sort of never expected to see this. It's weird. It's almost weird that we've actually watched it. In a way.
1: It is. Um, it is. And um, it does, you know, it's absolutely a part of the Star Wars family now. Especially yeah. after the third viewing, it's like yes, this is Star Wars.
0: That's what I feel now. I feel like I've I've kind of like accepted it as part yes. of the saga, um, in a way that it took me a while at first to do, um, but yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely, completely. Um, before we finish, we should very very quickly mention Daniel Craig you know, in a <laughs> cameo <laughs> yes, as a Stormtrooper. Both, we're
1: both big James Bond fans. Yeah, so we have and to
0: mention he him. is the Stormtrooper that Ray performs the mind trick on. And at first, we were watching because this is the first time we went in knowing that. And the very first line of dialogue he says, we're well, like, mm-hmm. Is yeah. that him? But then when he repeats Ray's instructions to Yeah, after she like,
1: finally gets control over his mind.
0: It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Daniel Craig. Yeah, which
1: is great.
0: It was so great. <laughs> what I love about that is how angrily he denied it. Like, <laughs> in interviews, he really, really got, you know, why would I do that? Oh, this
1: oh, stuff. Daniel Craig is such a stinker. He
0: is. He's great. He's great. He is interviews. great. I love him a bit.
1: I <laughs> love his grumpy, grumpy, grumpy self. I think you
0: said that as years go by, he's going to be like the Harrison Ford. Yeah, Board I
1: said he's going to be the British Harrison Ford yeah. because he's such a grumpy pants.
0: Yeah, I love him. He's. He's so good. Um, But yeah, before we wrap up, um, episode eight. uh, I mean, I feel now um, so excited moving forward after seeing this this film a few times. Um, So, what do you most want to see happen in episode eight? What do you most want from it going forward?
1: Well, there are a few things, but I'm just going to talk about just the one main thing, really, from a... Certain point of view, my point of view. I I think it is so important that Ray continues to be. Uh, well, I'm really hoping that she'll continue to be the hero and that she's the you know it's her story, and that she not be sexualized in any way. Um, that she's just very much like the person we see and 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 how she was presented in in the Force Awakens. That's what I hope. Continues on into episode eight, just the way that she was portrayed throughout that film in terms of being a woman character, and that's what I really, really hope gets moved on to episode eight, and that she's not, you know, an object in other words, yeah,
0: in some capacity. I agree 100% with that. Um, for me, what I would like to see, I mean, um, I don't know a huge amount about Ryan Johnson as a director, I mean, we watched Lupa weren't overly keen on it, but that's not necessarily because of the way it was directed. Right. Um, But um, I'm sort of excited by the idea that um, he might take it into sort of more daring areas and might be a a little bit more uh, creative with his world building.
1: Right.
0: Let's say. Because I do feel like this movie, it was great. He did everything spot on. Um, but it was kind of playing it safe, understandably. Which
1: is understandable, this is This yeah. was the
0: film that was always going to be the hardest, it was always going to have the most pressure on it. Um, they had to hit every beat and...
1: They kind of had to be safe. They had to way. be, yeah.
0: They couldn't have done something completely outlandish with it. Right. But now that it's been reestablished again, I'd like to see it go in a new direction. I'd like to see some more uh, sort of different planets, more creative, inventive planets from a visual point of view.
1: More just a little bit more polished. <laughs> Not what, a lot, but just bit, but, but um, more than
0: anything else, just a little bit more world building, I guess. Yeah. Um and I, I would like to see some more interesting planets than just desert, snow, forest, you know. You know, I don't think they can just go back and repeat those again because they've sort of hit all those Earth like environments. I'd like to see a really outlandish alien planet, I think, is what I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something a bit something a bit unique, a bit different. Um mm-hmm. but um yeah, other than that, I'm just really excited by it.
1: Oh, yes, can't wait. Can't wait. Oh my gosh. You just walk out of episode 7 and you're like, "Okay, when is episode 8 coming out?" Yeah. Yeah,
0: I want to see it. Got
1: to get that countdown calendar started.
0: I'm sure we're going to see it at least once more before it before it leaves theaters. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. So. Yeah, you were already chomping at the bit to go see it for a fourth time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've not seen a film this many times for a long time. Probably since no, Revenge of the Sith, actually. I was actually. just going
1: to say the last time I saw a film this many times was Revenge of the Sith. Yeah.
0: So, um so, yeah, um, so what we will do, we'll, we might well be back in a year's time talking about Rogue One, <laughs> which is our next movie. We might, right. be, we might be back before then if there's something about yeah. Star Wars that we, we want to talk about.
1: Exactly. I, we don't know if this will be a regular thing that we do or if it'll be once in a while. Yeah, so
0: we'll see how it goes. It'd be fun if
1: it was regular, but I don't know how possible
0: that is. We'll see.
1: So, anyways. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank
0: you very much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Oh, wait. Should we say where we are on Twitter? Oh,
0: we should. Yes, you're right. Sorry. Yes, Um, I am at qui Smith.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Fair Meglin. And that's F-A-I-R-M-E-G-W-I-N. And, yeah, that's, that's that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.